Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcasts, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome to the um, podcast series um, on featured books in the history of childhood. Uh, my name is Sophie Hayward uh, from the University of Reading, and I'm a specialist in French children's literature and publishing the history of. And today I'm here to interview Hella Strandgard Jensen from the University of Aarhus in Denmark uh, to ask her a few questions about her book From Superman to Social Realism, Children's Media and Scandinavian, Scandinavian Childhood, which was published by John Benjamins in 2017. So before we get started, Hella, perhaps you could just say a couple of sentences about what the book is talking about. Yes, um, so the book is about public debates about children's uh, media consumption. Um, so how adults have um, discussed in the public sphere what's good, what's bad for children uh, from 1945 until 1985. And what I'm trying to show is that these debates have a varied a lot. Um, so in the 50s you have um, mainly teachers and librarians discussing superhero comics, uh, good books and um, films. And then in the late 60s you have um, producing artists, you have uh, television producers, uh, authors, intellectuals discussing sort of the quality of all kinds of children's media products across media. And then in the early 80s you have um, you have psychologists and you have media researchers uh, discussing um, social, everything from social realism to uh, video violence. And the standards for what's good and what's bad for children throughout this period is um, changing uh, very much dramatically from one, from one decade to another. And that is really what drew me to this subject. Why is it changing so much? Great. Thank you. That's nice and clear. Okay, so the first question is um, getting you to think about um, where the inspiration for this project came from. So if you could tell us a little bit about where you got the idea from and the intellectual journey, I suppose, that led you to writing this book, please. Um, so there are two main things. Um, first of all, um, when writing my, so this book, and I think I cannot hide that really, uh, came out of my PhD thesis. And what I'm really talking about now is what, what, what got me to write that in the first place, even though it's a long time before the book was finished, though. Um, I finished my thesis in 13. Um, but I think when I was... Um, uh, so two, two things was really, um, I, I didn't like the moral panics um, argument. So often when we talk about public debates about children's media, um, moral panics or media panics pops up as a concept that's used often also in sociology or me by media researchers. But as a historian, I was really curious about how that really worked. As a, it, it was blocking, it was stopping understanding these people who were part of the um 
what what was called panics, but it was like, um, I really want to understand where were the people, where were these people coming from? Why didn't they like, for instance, superhero comics? So I wanted to understand um, the rapidly changing norms, but also what was what is now often seen as sort of backwards, like. Well, they didn't really understand the comics of the time, or they really didn't understand what social lesson would really lead to, or something like that. So I really wanted to understand the people who were part of the public debate and, and who were now, or who is now seen as sort of backwards, or not really understanding or taking children seriously at the time. So I wanted to do that. And I also... Um, and, I, and I also wanted to, to do something that was... Um, cross-media, so often uh, historians or media researchers look at one medium at the time, and that's also happening in, in sort of when people discuss media panic. But what I I saw in these uh, debate was, debates was that implicitly and explicitly, they always referred to some other medium, like comics were bad because they weren't as good as books, or something like that. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, and I suppose go, moving on from that as well, were there any particular thinkers, any particular books or theorists that you encountered in your research that, that had an important role in shaping the way uh, you, sh you think about, the, thought about the project? Yeah, so, so something that I um, was inspired by was that actually uh, work on the women who had colluded with the Germans uh, in Denmark during the Second World War. So I had a professor um, Anna Devine, who's a historian of, um, she, she writes about the Second World War, also about 68. But um, her, in her writing, she had really wanted to understand, um, so women who had been written off as um, sort of just, yeah, colluding with the Germans and, and being like um, morally dubious. And, and she tried to understand their love for um, a specific soldier. She's been trying to understand these women who history had judged really badly. And and in a way, I saw the same with the teachers who didn't like superhero comics or horror comics <laughs> yeah. in the 50s. Like, these people that history had just judged so hard. And, and for me as a historian, it was really interesting to just try to understand them, where they were coming from, how they thought about childhood. <laughs> Great. Um, so perhaps now we could start to, I mean, you've, you've started to hint really about some of your main arguments. So um, let's start to unpick them a little bit. Um, so I'm getting the sense that one of the main arguments of the book is moving us beyond what we might call this moral panics paradigm of thinking about debates around children's media. Um, and certainly that's something I think that comes across very forcefully in the book in and that that can tell us something about important about the way we as adults uh, think about children's media and the tensions perhaps inherent in that. Um, so could you tell us, first of all, I suppose, um, explain a little bit more about the moral, moral panics paradigm, where it comes from, and how your book moves us beyond that? Yeah, so, so the theory comes from a uh, sociologist, uh, Stanley Cohen, uh, but it has been used on all kinds of things, um, and also by historians, but um, it's, um, the argument is that these debates are very similar, that so every time, for instance, a new medium occur, um, a, a, a sort of a panic would arise, and then it would be similar with the 
with colleagues or with um, violent um, American um, films <laughs> in the 80s. Um, so there's, there's this claim about similarity, but there's also a, a claim about an over-proportional reaction on, on, on the side of the debaters. And really, um, like, as a historian, how do you judge that? How do, how do you judge that these people were not reacting in the way that they should have done in the past? I'm not so... And, and also, the, these debates are often um, compared, picking out really specific debates, so like the 50s and the 80s, but not taking into account sort of the good progressive left-wingers uh, in the in the late 60s and their, like, their fears about something. And so I, I think um, the way that the theory has been applied does not really open up uh, or improve our understanding of, for instance, um, conceptualizations of childhood in the past or the ways in which uh, children's media consumption was discussed and was a key in also understanding and negotiating what is a good childhood, what is what kinds of morals, values would we like children's media to um, transfer to children um, or be part of a, of a childhood. Um, so I think that's much more interesting. So that is why I wanted to go up or challenge this um, this theory, uh, which is still very much in use, I should say. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's very much. Um, it, I, th I think that's one of the really interesting things about your book. In fact, it is um, it speaks. It's, it speaks very much to our contemporary understanding of children's media and, and the, the sense of panic I think we feel currently around children's media and, and um, it, it clearly can help, I think, us to work out, provide a historical perspective and perhaps some kind of grounding on the way we talk about media today. Um, I imagine you get lots of phone calls from journalists, that kind of thing. What what? <laughs> How do you how do you handle that? I guess. Well, yes, I do, and they all want to talk about screen time, um, which I know that they also want in 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 England. Um, so so they ask me like um, so how much screen time, and I often say twenty two minutes on Fridays after full moon. Well, <laughs> that, at least that is what I want to say because I I think importantly what I what I try to say is. Well, we should be more we, we should be more aware of what it is that we want to talk about. Do we want to talk about the content? What are we afraid of? What do these debates tell us about what what kinds of childhood would we like our children to have? And that is more important than maybe um, preventing them from uh, from being uh, allowed to have screen, like to, to watch television or to have um, cell phones or things like that. I think the important thing here is to to understand what it is we want them to have in their lives and how we want their lives to be shaped. What we um, so it's also a negotiation about what childhood is and what it should be. And I think realizing that and realizing that you come from different. A professional perspective, you come from different political perspectives, and that is what is at stake. Is also why we see these very heated debates um, that are not always um, uh, so full of light, but full of lots of heat. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I think it's important, therefore, to like with my book, I try to show how also um, 
different different professions standing in the welfare in the connection to the welfare state, for instance, um, gives provenance to some professional views on children and childhood and not others. And these are interwoven very much with the ways that we think about media. Thank you. And I think there you're starting to hint really about one of the in, in you know, one of the particularly distinctive things about the book, which is its Scandinavian perspective, um, which I think I'll return to in a second. I just um, mindful of our the listeners here. Perhaps we could bring it back to where it contributes as well to the history of childhood, um, how this historical perspective um, on children's media um, helps us to understand the history what it can contribute to the history of childhood. And perhaps if you could talk a little bit about the changes you see in ideas of childhood through this lens of the media, please. Yes, so I think very much in the Scandinavian perspective, you could see a changing understanding of children as somebody who should have, like in the 50s, um, the content should be very much something that um, supports education, supports the family, supports a monocultural society. Uh, but then after the 60s, and in the, in the mid-60s and, and in the late 60s, you see very much a culture that should support um, at least from from some perspectives or what becomes the dominant perspectives in the 70s, uh, empowerment, um, critical thinking, um, sort of um, an aware, liberated child. But also, interestingly, I think, um, thinking about children's, children's uh, history, um, children's histories are very often very much about uh, families, about society, but not a lot about media. But I think it is... I think public debate increasingly as well is a, a place where we see negotiations about what we would like childhood to be. It's not that it's about, these debates are not about something else. It is a crucial way for society to go to, to, to think about childhood is, is what we want, what kinds of media consumption we want them to have. And I think that's also why these debates are um, they take up so so much space in in the in the public sphere, um, and so many professions, so many kinds of political views want to add in to to give their viewpoint on it because it is a way, it is an important way about thinking about childhood. But also, I think what is interesting to see um, is that children and childhood in these debates are not used very specifically. It's used. It's because it's so much about morals, about values. It's used in a very flexible way that suits many different kinds of, of professional views. That suits very, that that's, um, fit it to very different kinds of political views, or could be religious views as well. Um, so it's used in a way that fits what the debaters wants to say. So you don't get a very clear age distinguished. Um, age distinction, you don't get a very clear gender distinction, uh, often in these debates, very, very interestingly. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. I, I, you know, I would have expected there to be sort of really 
specific stuff about girls, for example, what they should be reading and what they shouldn't be reading. But perhaps I'm, I'm mired in the 19th century there. I don't know. <laughs> you can find it, but it's not the norm, at least not in Scandinavia. Interesting. Um, and I think what you, you've, you've made it very clear, and I think it, it, it's very clear here that um, the debates provide interesting insights into ways of thinking about ways of people are thinking about childhood at the time. I'm curious to know, perhaps you can give us some examples. Did these debates have any real impact on the kind of media that children could gain access to? Did you see, did they dent the sales of, of comics or you even prevent people accessing comics? Um, or do they take place in the public sphere and then what's going on in the ground remains the same? It, it, can we see their impact, I guess? I think you can see the impact in the way that they were solved, even though they were very, they, they were, um, so the views are very different in the different time periods. But very Scandinavian, perhaps, the solution is always um, the, the public library. And so the state taking some sort of um, creating a zone that's a buffer between children and what's seen as the commercial market, but also mm -hmm. providing lots of different kinds of media uh, content for children. So the public... The, so giving a lot of money, spending lots of money on public library, public solutions that are that doesn't cost anything, that gives lots of choice, and then hoping that children choose um, the good things and well, they they want things that we don't like that, that that adults don't like them to have, but but that they also see things that adults would like them to read or to watch. Um, so film clubs in libraries and film clubs in schools. Um, and then giving lots of money, lots of funding to, to public libraries as a solution to sort of educate and give access to um, their population. Um, I think that's a, a consequence of these debates. And you still see very strong public library culture in Scandinavia. Interesting, interesting. And, and I'm curious there, then we have quite a Scandinavian except, well, not exception, but, um, interesting contrast there. So we don't see, um, censorship laws or perhaps comics codes or books being challenged in libraries. Um, no, not, no, not, not really. Um, so you don't have, um, well, there, there are some, um, comics in the 50s that uh, are not, um, that sees um, to be published, but that's sort of the um, volunteer, voluntarily on the side of the publishers. But what you mostly see is actually just um, um, sort of the state trying to promote um, lots of voices to choose from, and that follows also the ways in which um, you you see lots of state support for. Um, in areas for for adults media um so so that that is is a really um scandinavian solution making the state um having a big state but as a freedom for the individual for the individual which is which is something particular to scandinavian i think you see that solution here as well yeah definitely that's really interesting thank you um and just one last line of a um, questioning before we move on um your book is unusual and I think very ambitious and bold in, in this respect in its cross-media approach. So I speak as someone in children's literature because I think we're guilty often of focusing on books alone and, and maybe comics and magazines when we're feeling um, 
daring. But television, for example, feels like another methodology completely. Um, so what, what do we learn from broadening our vision? How can, how do you think that's helping? I think, um, once you start looking for it, um, in debates about maybe not as much about literature, if you look in, in, in literature journals, but I think if, if you look about, if you look at, um, public debates about children's media consumption and you start looking for, uh, direct or indirect, um, references to other mediums, you actually see them quite a, popping up quite a lot. So the, the book, the individual classic book is often sort of a yardstick for other mediums. So like um, children shouldn't be spending time on screens, but well, they should definitely on, on books, books much better. Um, but also I think it was interesting to see, for instance, in the, in the early 80s that um, when, when you started to compare, like when you started to compare discussions around uh, violent films, uh, video films, and and then uh, books, you saw that the common denominator in those discussions, even though they took place in, in in they weren't always connected directly, but the common denominator was the child's creativity and uh, the vulnerable trial uh, that wasn't. Um, part of nature anymore that lived in the suburbs but needed um, creative stimulation because that was seen as innate to children and so, so you saw two quite different debates um, about two, two, two quite different mediums and, and different kinds of con- content but what really connected them was the common sense of, of what would be good for children um, yeah so that Thank was interesting no, and I think it's nice. It's, it, it encourages us to to recognise actually the discussion around children's media, the the, the the different types of media. Those conversations, those thinking about them, doesn't take place in a vacuum. That they will influence um, each other and and are often thought together by by teachers and by critics. And so, us scholars are sort of artificially separating them almost. Um, I'm going to now move us on. Um, and start to think about, ask you where you feel future research in this area is needed. Where are the big gaps or, or what would be exciting to look at now? Um, for me, I'm stuck in the 70s, I think. Um, but <laughs> trying to broaden, um, broaden out the perspective, um, as you know, and as we've been working on on your project about the international comparison, I think it's been really interesting to see how, for instance, 68 was um, related to children's media in different European countries. That's been really interesting. So I think, um, and I'm, I'm moving myself in that direction. I'm, I'm comparing the, the, the transfer and demarcation of Sesame Street in, in Western Europe, and all, but also looking at what the Americans thought about the European reception, so the reception of the reception, you could say, but looking mm-hmm. at circulation more broadly about what, and, and for my topic, new topic specifically, it's, it's about like what roles the roles should children's um, television have in children's lives. So I'm, I'm continuing down that road, but looking at the broader internationally, I think that also I would love to um, see, and also somebody else uh, looking at 
popular debates about children's media in the 80s, 90s, and and and, and uh, noughties. And uh, that would be really, I, I think, historicizing the, his, the um, children, popular debates about children's media gives a lot to current debates about children's media, but you should be prepared to be called by journalists all the time, uh, <laughs> answering the same question again and again. Um, but I, I really think it, it, it is a, an important part of the history of childhood that we haven't seen a much seen that much work on yet, and I think um, that would be important. And also, I would love to see it in other countries. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you very much. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you uh, so much. Yeah. Uh, stop. Whoops. We are recording. Okay, there we go. Well, that was 25 minutes. Well, I've got 24 minutes.